This is episode 482 with Alex Stewart. The Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited about this episode because Alex is the low-tox queen around the world and I've wanted to have her on the show for a long time and it's finally here. And for those of you that have never heard of Alex, she is the founder of the online community and education hub, Low Tox Life. And she founded this in 2010 and she is responsible for birthing the low-tox movement with the phrase low-tox that has resonated with people all around the world. She has an international best-selling book, Low Tox Life, which is incredible. I've got it and love it. And she has a podcast by the same name, and they have supported millions in achieving their personal home and planet health goals. Her latest book, Low Tox Life Food, seeks to find the most powerful ways that we can create change for ourselves and the planet from our food. She's a sought-after speaker and consults to organizations committed to change for good, whether it's a focus on people's health or the planet's, and she believes the biggest progress in humanity always comes when we focus on our overlaps and not our differences. Yes, I totally agree. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, and there is a lot, and you are going to want to go and get all of the resources in the show notes, and that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 482. And make sure that you stay all the way to the end because you can find out how you can get 20% off her awesome programs. Now let's dive in and bring on the incredible Alex Stewart. Alex, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Today I had one and a half scrambled eggs, not because I'm like anal retentive or anything, but my son and I shared three over a beautiful piece of protein toast, some wilted spinach, handful of nuts, a cup of English breakfast tea, and I think that's it. Mm, Oh, how beautiful. Now, before we jumped on, we were chatting about when we met and how long ago that was. And we met at a mutual friends book launch going on anywhere between 12 to 15 years ago, which is a really long time. And I have absolutely loved your work. I think the work that you're doing in the world is so important. And I'm so pumped to have you here to share your wisdom with us today. Before we dive into everything, tell us your story. Like, how did you become the low-tox queen? Oh, my gosh. Talk about accidental career path. (laughs) You know, there's a saying, I remember I learned it when I was studying business coaching in the hospitality space, 
and looking at authentic leadership and seeing how to help leaders step into a sense of growth and expansion, leading big teams in hospitality because that was my background. And as I was doing that work, I learnt the concept of letting your mess be your message. And, you know, a lot of leaders try and sound like this perfect person who's got it all figured out. And that often I have found in working in management now in three completely different industries, the common theme I find with that style of leadership, it leads to very high turnover, people who never feel quite connected to the business, And the leader always inside feels like a bit of a fake, which then turns into a lot more power play than needs to happen. And I was learning all of this stuff in such a different concept. And during that time, I was a regular human experiencing tonsillitis four or five times a year to the point where I became antibiotic resistant. And it was when I had taken the last, most strongest antibiotic you you could take for strep throat on the second course of, and it was not putting a dent in this infection, that I just thought, oh my gosh, I can't live like this. And it was a fantastic, thank God I lived in Bondi at the time. It was a hippie girlfriend who said, have you thought about seeing a naturopath? And like 18, 19 years ago, this was not a very common person you had in your health arsenal. We're very grateful now that it is, and I highly recommend one to everybody if you find the right fit, but I had never heard of such a thing. And I went and I found one. She was this incredible woman who'd been practicing for 25 years, one of the original Sydney naturopaths along with like Francesca Naish, that whole crew of women in their 50s at the time. And she sorted me out in three days, Mel. I took some disgusting tasting herbs, some high dose C and zinc, and I was done. And I was like, what? I didn't even have to take any medicine like because I didn't see food as medicine or herbs as medicine or nutrients as medicine. So I just thought this was crazy, but she fixed me. Of course, I got tonsillitis again in a couple of months time because we hadn't yet found the underlying cause. But she helped to find that through some really nascent emerging research that was linking gluten to overgrowth of strep or burden of the immune system, which if you think of immunobiology makes a ton of sense now how some people can just ditch a particular food group that obviously just creates burden for their immune system and then boom, they stop getting recurrent infections. For me, that was absolutely the case. Now, I'm not a gluten basher. If you love your sourdough and you feel like a million bucks, regardless of whether you eat it or not, power to you. But for me, it is awful stuff. And that was really the start of making those connections between what I was putting in my body and how my body felt. Because prior to that, I was a very regular kid of the 80s, grew up in Chicago the first few years of my life, which was right around that feminist movement where women went to the workplace in droves, which is awesome. But at the same time, there was no like, let's sit down and chat about divvying up the meal plan, babe, because, you know, we're both working now. Instead, it fell all to the chicks and the food industry just swept on in and provided such a compelling case that they could make it all very easy for women. And so came all the processed food that we now see as 60% of our trolleys. So All this to say was I was a very regular convenience, processed food was very much in the mix, 
Gluten was pretty much in every type of processed food back then. Unfortunately, in a way, now you have gluten-free versions of all the processed foods and that stops people from just eliminating the processed foods and makes them feel safe within the processed food landscape, which we are not in any way, shape or form. So I feel really grateful in a way that I had to quit gluten back then because it meant having to quit ultra-processed foods. And that was the greatest gift I could ever have been handed because I had to learn how to cook, which really coming out of hospitality and high-end cocktail bars and that whole scene, I brought that creativity that I had in winning cocktail competitions and doing all that cool stuff into the food space. For the first time in my life, I was never a good cook, couldn't roast a chicken when I was 30, thought that was like something Chargirl Charlie's knew how to do and I'd never be able to do it. But yeah, it was an amazing period of growth and learning and creativity. And from that point, as someone who taught through change and learning development and process in hospitality, I thought, oh my gosh, there are so many people who need this change in the health space, but change is seen as deprivation, it's seen as hard, it's seen as a big to-do list, it's seen as this awful heavy thing And I'm all about discovery, not deprivation. Like how can we step into this as a really exciting, curious, non-judgmental journey? And that was when I started to think, ooh, I wonder what I could do to help people in this way. That was around the time when my son was going to be born and I was given all the baby shower, well-meaning gifts to set up the nursery. I thought, oh, I've become really good at food labels. Let's have a look at what's in this stuff about 14 years ago now. And whoa, I was horrified. And I started to, you know, back then I actually had to get books out. Like, (laughs) I mean, it's so recent. I don't think people realize how recent it has been that people have started to care about what's in our personal care and cleaning products, but it's very recent. And I got books out and I started to see some of the chemicals were fine. I hate the term chemical-free because it's a complete misnomer. There's tons. I mean, I'm drinking a very nice organic decaf right now. That is lots of chemicals together making something very delicious for my afternoon. That is not bad for me. Neither is the water that I'm drinking that's filtered. Neither is the hardwood made of all sorts of chemicals that is my dining table. So the chemicals that are harmful are the carcinogenic ones and the endocrine disruptive ones. And we can go into that. I think we will. But I was horrified that that could ever find a place legally in a baby product, let alone anyone else's personal care products. And that's when that next penny dropped. And I was like, whoa, I'm pretty sure if my very smart friends knew this, that they would make different choices. And sure enough, I started a very secret, very dodgy looking blog about 14, 15 years ago, just sharing links with them about the stuff I was writing. And then this random stranger popped up. I'd never seen someone I didn't know in my comments. And she said, you know, it'd be really good if you started something like a Facebook page or something so we could keep talking about this stuff. I was like, oh, how do I do one of those? I'm so not a techie person. But it was people out there that led me to just keep growing this thing. And I guess to finish the long-winded answer to your first question, Mel, is to say low-tox life was born as a very original idea. I searched and I thought really hard about 
how to create a phrase that was non-judgmental, that had room for everybody, for whatever budget or time constraints someone might have, whatever stage of understanding of all this stuff one might have. And I didn't want no, free, quitting, none of those absolute black and white words because polarisation is the enemy of progress. I firmly, firmly believe that. And I wanted to lead people in a very grey area, kind of like you just find something that pushes your buttons, start there and maybe move on to another category after. Something that was very spacious. I think any of us who grew up in the Oprah 90s gen of like new celeb diet, new bandwagon to jump on, new levels of shame and guilt and failure. You know, I didn't want to hear that for people who were just doing better by people and planet. Like how awful to feel like you could be doing that wrong if you were doing anything to make progress. So Lotox Life was born. Wow, I love it. And now you've got books, you've got programs and you help and support so many people all over the world. And you've got a podcast as well. You help and support so many people all over the world go low-tox, and I love that. I loved hearing about how the name came about as well because it's not often you get to hear the behind the scenes of how it's birthed, so I love that. It was literally a word cloud on a butcher's paper while my son was having a nap kind of vibe, and now to think people use it as a term to reference what they're doing or a lifestyle that they lead without even knowing who I am is fantastic because that means it's resonated with people. That's the part that matters to me the most. Absolutely. And you've got four pillars and you mainly talk about these pillars, food, body, we've got mind and we have home. So these four pillars are great areas for people to start. And I love what you said before. You said, you know, you could start in one and then move to another one and then you could go to another one or you can go full cold turkey like I did many, many years ago. (laughs) There are some A-types like you out there, Mel, who just need to do the whole thing. The whole thing. (laughs) So when I got sick in 2010 and I ended up in hospital with a whole host of health issues, both physically and mentally, And I was handed Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life. And that book changed my life and it got me on the path that I am now on. And it led from one thing to the other. And as soon as I began on this more conscious and evolved and awakened path, I looked at all of the products I was using, what I was putting in my body, what I was putting on my body, in my home, in my mind. And I was one of those people that literally cold turkey went through every area of my house and binned everything and started from scratch. And that was just my personality. And I don't tell people that they have to do that, but that was just what I needed to do. So I want to talk to you about the four different pillars and just a little bit more on chemicals and chemical exposure and more so the, the harmful detrimental chemicals we're talking about. Like you said before, the endocrine disrupting ones, the hormone disrupting ones. This is what we're talking about. Now, more than ever, these are in a lot of our products. They're in our environment. They're in clothing. They're everywhere. And we're exposed to it on such a deep level that we need to look at it. And for a lot of us, removing some of these could be the simplest answers to a lot of our physical and mental issues that we have. So 
let's talk first about food. I want to talk to you about food and, you know, everyone listening to this show, they've been here for hundreds of episodes. They know the importance of eating chemical pesticide, hormone, spray-free produce. They know ultra-processed food is not where we want to be eating. I've spoken so much about going to the organic farmer's markets and things like that. But is there anything that we need to really know when it comes to our food that maybe we might be overlooking? Yeah, it's such a complex one. And food, I think because so much emotion is embedded in food, whether it's cultural emotion, whether it's abuse growing up and we turn to food as love, or maybe food was a love language in sometimes an unhealthy way in the place of hugs and attention, and that's all you got. So therefore, that is your love. There's all of that. Then there's the disconnect between humans these days, especially city humans, and the law of the land and the law of biology. And so there are some contrived ideas of what eating for health or eating to be planet friendly, you know, all of that stuff can be really mixed up, muddled up because we're so disconnected from biodiversity, land and land health, and then human health as a byproduct of that. Then there's the aspect of join the club diets and celebrity led or guru led or now Instagram, social media personality led diets. In the ever confusing landscape of food, I find more and more people are just desperate for simplification. And the best thing I can offer is, number one, that we find where we can all overlap when it comes to food, to really do a great job for ourselves and the planet. And that way, again, anti-polarization equals pro-progress. So by focusing on that ultra-processed food, it represents 60% of the average shopping trolley right now. Just because your cheesy puffs say that they're gluten-free does not mean that that is a health food. Just because your chewing gum isn't using coal tar in the ingredients, well, yes, that's something to celebrate, but it's still tetra-packed in plastic and then, you know, all the other things that we just do not need. If you look really honestly at your trolley, anything that isn't just plain produce or maybe some simple fats like olive oil and things like that, we actually don't need it. And so it can be a really big aha and oh my effing gosh, when you go, wow, there is just so much stuff I don't need. And I'm not perfect. Like, do I need the corn chips I eat at the end of my luteal phase? Absolutely not, but I eat them. So this is not about being this perfect, like, I just homestead and do everything myself. That's not where I lead people, but it is a scale, right? And so if you think products on one side of the scale, produce on the other side of the scale, we're trying to tip the scales over to produce. In inches, in miles, however fast you want to do it, that is the direction we want to go. And to do that successfully, you need access and you need skills. Because I can tell you now, when I had to go gluten-free, which in 2004, that meant literally wiping processed food out of my life from one day to the next. 
because it was in everything back then, it meant I had to cook everything from scratch. That was the only food that was going to stop me from getting tonsillitis. There's only so many badly executed chicken breasts and slightly overcooked vegetables and undercooked this and that that you can do before you go, crap, I actually have no idea how to do this properly. And so you need those skills. And so building up some really simple vocab around spending time in the kitchen is quintessential. And I always say the best people to learn from are the people that don't make you feel uncomfortable. Do not follow someone that you think, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to do that. Or that makes you, and you're such a queen of this, it makes you feel that sense of comparison-itis. I'm not as good as her. I'm not as smart as them. Or aren't they full of themselves? You know, if you're coming through with any kind of judgment of yourself or the other person, that is not someone to bring onto your team when you need to skill up. And so by all means, jump on Low Tops Life, grab the Low Tops Life food book. That's my second one. It is so approachable and so idiot proof because I wrote it for my 28 year old me who had no idea what to do. And so that would be it. It would be just start tipping the scales towards produce. Now, once you get to produce, have a think about how you feel at the end of certain meals. Just see, do I feel heavy? Did I get heartburn? Did I feel like I needed to medicate myself in any way when I was on a, say, a holiday where I was eating a particular way? Like my poor husband's just come back from New Orleans. He's like, I swear, babe, I tried to find vegetables. I could not. (laughs) And he's just like, he feels bloated and swollen and awful. And it's only going to take him a couple of days to bring it back down. But obviously his immune system took a hit from not being able to eat good, colourful food along with his meat and carbs. It was all just a meat and carb fest, which is awful. Um, And so many people get heartburn and head off to pharmacies. So anything that's making you feel like you still need a pharmacy on a monthly basis, you've probably not got your food mix right. And that might mean you need a health professional to help you navigate a bit more of a bio-individual approach please don't try to join any clubs out there. The specific diet labels generally tend to make people feel like they're just running down another path and and it's not working. And why am I feeling any better? I think seeing a health professional, if you're not sure how to stop feeling awful when you're eating, once you're eating whole foods, means there's probably a food group in there or an immune issue in there that needs a bit of focus on a personalized level. And then from there, just think about how you source your food. Think about how direct your line to your farmer is, if you can make it any more direct, if you can set up a buying club, if you live regionally and you don't have access to farmer's markets. I've seen and worked with some amazingly remote communities in this beautiful country of ours and helped set up, okay, so if your local butcher doesn't do anything organic now, how many people in this room reckon they'd buy four organic chooks a month if they could? 20 hands go up, any butcher would be absolutely deranged if they didn't agree to ordering in 80 pre-ordered and distributed to those 20 families who were happy to set that up with them. So it's really amazing once you start connecting with each other who have a like interest or desire to change things and then connecting with purveyors of food. I know one town was like three hours from like a local that was the most local mixed produce farm to them. 
but 10 of them said they'd order a weekly box of 150 bucks if they'd come and drive it up once a week. And the farmer said, yeah, sure, because that's worth the trip. So it's amazing what can be done when we actually decide, you know what, this is better for people, for planet, for the farmer, because they get all the cash. Let's actually start setting these systems up. And it just feels good to know where your food comes from. You know, if you can't grow it yourself, next best thing is to just really know where it comes from. Mm, Absolutely. I love that. Such great advice. And if you do have any issues, immune issues or anything like that, experimenting like what you did with removing maybe gluten or dairy or some other common allergens, but also then going and seeing a naturopathic doctor or someone like that, someone that you trust that can do some tests and get to the bottom of why you feel like that. That's a really amazing thing that you can do. And there's all this low-hanging fruit, like just eating more real food. I often say, like if my nonna, and she's now passed, like if she wouldn't recognize something that I have in my house, then she wouldn't eat it, right? So don't eat what your great grandma doesn't recognize. Just eat real food, real fresh produce. Just do that. Tip the scales, like you said, that way, and you will instantly start to feel so much better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can't get simpler than that, right? And then these tips... I mean, every type of eater can be at that table making these great changes. You can prefer to be vegan. You can prefer to be omnivorous. Whatever it is in the landscape, we can all come together and make those changes. Absolutely. Let's move on to the next pillar, body. And I opened this up to my audience and I got so many questions. So we will do our best to get through a lot of them. Let's talk about... What are some of the things that we need to look for when it comes to body and beauty products? And then I would love to go through some of your favorite trusted brands. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when it comes to the body and beauty products, the best thing we can do is have an overall focus on eliminating artificial fragrances. Why? Well, So back when I was the head perfume girl at Downtown Duty Free at the Strand Arcade 27 years ago now, I was a huge fragrance fanatic. So I want to start this section by saying wherever you're at right now, this is is a judgment-free zone and whatever changes you decide to make off the back of what I'm just about to tell you, then go as slow as you need to, you know, maybe you need to have a breakup ceremony with your favorite perfume, however this is going to look for you. But artificial fragrance, unfortunately, in today's landscape, contains up to 150 different chemicals that we don't get to have any visibility of because of what we call proprietary information. So that basically means A company won't disclose what's in their fragrance because that's seen as one of their USPs, unique selling propositions. It's so important to them to have that differential that the law says that they can keep that part a secret. The most unfortunate part of that for us is that these days perfume companies are not using natural essential oils They might use one here or there. There are certainly a couple of the older schoolhouses that throw one in the mix every now and then, but generally they are completely synthesized 
up to 150 different chemicals. Some of the more toxic ones tend to be the ones that make them last a really long time. So there's this plasticizer family of chemicals called phthalates. That's P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S for the nerds who like to look stuff up. And what they do is that they're sticky. So they make things stick. So Mel, remember the last time you went and did a workout with a girlfriend who maybe isn't on the same path as you, but you love and adore and you've got a ton of other stuff in common, give a big hug and you go along your way and you get home that night, like hours and hours later, and your hair flicks past in the wind as you're opening the door and you're like, oh, that's Jeanette. And you can smell her still, even though you caught up this morning at that class. That is the phthalates doing their job. They're making that fragrance last a really long time. Now, why do we need fragrances to last a really long time? Well, some marketing genius in the 60s and 70s decided that we had a problem that didn't exist, but if you can articulate a problem as a marketer and then articulate the solution to that problem, then you have a real premise for a product success. Bing, lots of cash. Great for them, not great for the planet or for our hormones. So phthalates tend to have this horrible ability to mimic or block our natural hormone signaling and estrogen specifically. So a lot of guys don't really get on the the low-tox train or don't think they have to get on the low-tox train because they think, oh, it's, you know, it's my girlfriend or my wife that uses all of those pretty products. But actually phthalates are more damaging in the science to men than they are to women. And we know that sperm health is going down the toilet in terms of both motility and quality of sperm. And phthalates have been attributed as one of the major chemical types that is responsible for this decline. There are lots of other potential factors, but phthalates are particularly important in the male fertility research. And there's even a study many years ago now that looked at a cluster of birth defects of male baby boys born to factory workers in phthalate in a phthalate factory. And when I read that study, and I'll, I can send it across for your show notes, Mel, because I'm, it's very important to me that people don't think, oh, this is just, you know, some, oh my gosh, everything's toxic tirade with no backing. There is unfortunately so much research behind phthalates now. I heard a panel on the ABC podcast of four endocrinologists who are at the forefront of this research saying basically the same thing. It was all about male fertility, this particular show. And the updated research from when I first started looking into this stuff myself. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's awful. It just becomes more and more obvious that we've got to get these things out of there. And the number one way to do it is focusing on synthetic fragrance. And isn't it sad that you know, with fertility stuff, the women cop a lot of it and the men don't even have a look in, you know, they're not even questioned. No. I mean, who goes to the first appointment with the doctor when it's been a few months and you've been trying and nothing's been happening? Not many men go to that first appointment. We do a ton of tests on the women who say, oh, well, there doesn't seem to be any problem. And often the man isn't even brought into the picture still today. And that's no fault of the GPs. It's through fault of how little time they have with people and so many other things these days. So, I think it's a constant question I get in the community. How do I get my bloke to care about these 
issues and how do I get him to stop using that 48-hour antiperspirant like thing that makes me feel like I can't breathe if I walk into the bathroom when he's spraying it in the mornings. And I always say the number one way is to hit him in the nuts. That is, uh, figuratively speaking, of course, we don't want to be violent, but go and download a video, like a there's an old school documentary, but it is good, called The Disappearing Male. And you can find it on Google. It's free on the internet. And it was a bunch of professors who were first sounding the alarm on phthalates and male fertility. And I never once in any coaching program I've ever done where I've sent people off, I've said, you don't want to be the toxic nag in your relationship, constantly running behind your partner saying, you've got to stop using this. It's toxic because that's toxic too, to your relationship. It's not nice. It's not sexy. Uh, We need to show them an impartial piece of evidence. We need to say, this has concerned me. I'd love for you to watch it as well. I'll watch it with you again, if you like, because I'd love to hear what you think so much more healthy a way to go about getting your partner on board. And I've never heard of a guy watching that and going, no, I'll still use my 48-hour toxic antiperspirant and super smelly aftershave. Never once. Like they all just go, okay, fair enough. What do you want me to use instead? And then it becomes a journey of discovery. And, And this, I mean, beyond fertility, like at no age, certainly not at a developing age. Like I think of teens and all those horrific sprays that they use culturally normal, but certainly not optimal if we're thinking about future dads. I know, I know. And I used all of that stuff. Oh, my gosh, me too. I was an aspiring hip-hop dancer. So Impulse was like my absolute favourite thing. I can still remember I had the peachy coloured one with the petals on it. And I can't remember what it was called, but I loved that stuff. And guess what? I had period problems. I had constant headaches. I had breakouts. You name it. I had all sorts of issues, headaches that was so bad that in my first years of cosmetics on the cosmetics floor, I remember once I had to ditch the hip hop career, <laughs> I remember the Clarence lady had let me sleep in her beauty room, take pop a couple of Macindol day strength, sleep in the beauty room to just get rid of the migraine and then head straight back out to spray perfumes on people. Everyone on that cosmetic floor had period problems, fertility problems, headaches, constant migraines. We were constantly swapping out hacks, never once thinking that it was what we were using. But because we all had it, we thought it was a chick thing. We just thought that's what girls, unfortunately, had to try and figure out and deal with. It was awful, Mel. It's crazy. And I always say our body is our temple. It is a temple and we need to treat it like a temple. If you want it to thrive, you've got to take care of it. You've got to look after it. And our skin is our largest organ and whatever we put on it, it's getting absorbed into our bloodstream and our skin is essentially drinking it. So when I learned all of this and knowledge is power, We'll link to that documentary and we'll link to all of your amazing stuff too for everyone to watch because once you know this stuff, you can't unknow it. You can't, you know, flick it off in your mind and unlearn what you've just discovered. Like I don't know anyone who's learned something and then gone, oh, no, I'm still going to use the toxic perfume, you know, and I'm sure maybe there's some people that do. Well, yeah, I think I always say to people like you may have that one thing that you decide to keep. And that's you. Like that's 
you know, for me, it's toenail polish. Even though it's low tox, it's not no tox. My hair dye, it's very, very low tox. It's about as low tox as I could find, but it's not completely no tox. But those two things I do. Do I have a hang up about those? No. Do I look at the big picture and think two tiny little things or that one non-organic meal every now and then when I'm with friends at the pub and everyone's just going with the flow? You have to find a mental balance. And for me, that figure ends up being about 5%, go with the flow. And so I always say we do what we do most of the time so we can go with the flow some of the time. And that's that mental health piece because I know you would have seen this as well. Maybe you went there in your very early stage of the journey, that perfectionism, oh, my God, if I have that, that's going to kill me or that has killed me, (laughs) but having that in the past because I got so sick, these feelings that we get are so normal, but at the same time we have to find a way through them out to the other side where we develop a sense of agency and also relaxedness when something's out of our control. It's not going to kill us. And in fact, just focusing on the friends at the pub is going to bring you so much well-being that a few hot chips in vegetable oil is really not going to touch the sides. You know what I mean? I think we really have to make sure that, you know, I just I just take that responsibility of being a Sherpa in this space very seriously in terms of how someone feels on the journey. Mm, well, mental health is so important and those unhealthy toxic thoughts, they're still toxic. So if you're there with your friends and you're enjoying the meal, laugh and have fun and just be present and flexible and let go, you're going to get so much joy out of that, that it'll outweigh and counterbalance anything that is in the food. So the non-organic meal or whatever it is, but you've always got to do what's right for you and let go of perfectionism. There's no such thing. Like truly just let go and just do your best. Do your best each day and let go of the rest. Be flexible. And that is key to everything in life. Mm-hmm. Sure is. So can you tell me a couple of your favorite brands? Because my audience really wanted to know your favorite brands. What are some of your favorite makeup brands that you have discovered to be quite clean? You can list one, two or three or however many come to your head. Okay, so 100% Pure was one of the first brands I discovered in makeup and I just adore it. It's an American brand. Well People was another one for your American listeners. They've got a gorgeous boutique in LA that I had the great fortune of visiting a few years ago. Beautiful quality products, gorgeous, gorgeous range. Young Living's makeup is fantastic. And I really love the local brand Luke Beauty Food. She does some stunning, like the lipsticks are basically food grade, so edible. Like if you really had to eat them, you could. Really incredible ingredients and gorgeous quality product. So those are probably the top ones that come to mind. And I've got something from all of those in my little makeup bag. Mm, I've used the 100% pure mascara before and I love it. You've reminded me. I'm going to get that again. That's beautiful. Oh, actually one more. Air Perez, another local brand, a Mexican lady who started things here in Australia. And yeah, her mascara is fantastic as well. The waterproof black, I think it's an avocado mascara, is 
really waterproof I play tennis and sometimes if I'm you know doing my makeup because I've got podcasting or whatever in the morning and I know I've got tennis that night I'll put that one on because I know I can just keep wearing it and not have to remember to take it off and have panda eyes but um yeah some great products in that range as well beautiful lip tints and stains and really stunning yeah yes I've got a few of her things as well and I love it okay skincare what are some of your favorite brands when it comes to skincare? Well, I would have to mention two pioneers in this space, one that's been going for a hundred years, nearly more, uh, Walida. So they are one of the most certified and celebrated brands. Uh, A lot of people don't know this, but Walida was founded by Rudolf Steiner, who also founded the form of education, Steiner Education, and Biodynamic Farming. So this guy got a shed ton of work done before he turned 50. Unfortunately, as a free and progressive thinker, he became an enemy of the state in Germany. Hitler hated him and he was silenced and that caused him great mental health issues, which was part of his health decline and death. So just the most fascinating life. I really hope a book comes out about his life because I think it's just extraordinary what he was able to achieve in homeopathics and farming and and skincare. But Walida for me is just one of those brands that has never strayed from its values. So I adore it. And Dr. Bronner, another pioneer, an incredible social enterprise, way before social enterprise became cool. They really blend activism and business so beautifully in terms of caring for their community, caring for, you know, they formed a regenerative farming alliance with Patagonia and Rodale Institute. Now, David, the chief experience officer, he's a vegan, but he recognizes that animals are very much needed for biodiversity and a whole bunch of people like eating meat and feel better eating meat. So he's working to then find a way for that kind of farming to be kind to animals and to be really healthful for the planet as well. And I think that kind of thinking, it's very brave to go beyond what your direct needs are for the good of the whole planet and to look at what really works on the ground. So I'm just a huge fan of that company. They obviously pioneered liquid soap back in the 60s, 40s and 50s actually, and then it was brought to America. Again, actually it was a Jewish family in Germany who had to leave and escape Germany and come and live in America. So luckily Dr. Bronner's lived on. And another fantastic story is the grandfather of the current family that run the company, his slogan was all one. He was always about trying to find the way that we all overlapped just as humans. And I think that really speaks to my idealist heart that we can find that way back. Very polarised world right now, but he used to give these sermons and no one would stay. And so he'd be like, okay, how can I get people to listen to my sermons? So he would produce little miniature soaps and he would give the Dr. Bronner soap out to people in the town square as he was giving the sermon to try and get it across the line that we were all part of Spaceship Earth, we're all one and yada, yada. And then he's like, crap, they're just coming to get the free soap and they're buggering off. Like, how am I going to get them to listen to me? And so when you see a Dr. Bronner's bottle, you see it packed with all this writing I encourage you to actually try and read the whole darn thing because that is his sermon. So he decided to print it 
onto the soap cover so that people took the sermon home and hopefully maybe read a few lines and got inspired. So for me, the way these companies start, it's not because of a gap in the market. It's not because of a like a competitor opportunity, like none of that stuff. It's because someone really had a vision and a dream and was an incredible pioneer. And I think that's why companies like that are so close to my heart. You have a couple of fantastic ones locally as well in the skincare game that uh, like Resparkle who have a fantastic plastic-free cleaning range and are now finding ways to use less and less water in skincare and cosmetics to make it more environmentally friendly for people to find zero waste skincare. And so I think that's an incredible opportunity as well. And yeah, I'm also working on something myself, which is very exciting. So yeah, there are just, there are wonderful, wonderful things out there for people to use now. I mean, when I started going low tox, I guess I found Walida and Dr. Bronner because they were pretty much the only thing out there back then, certainly available here, other than like buying homemade preparations at the markets because someone was having a stall. So these days we are spoiled for choice. Like I think anyone would be very hard pressed to say, oh, I can't go low tox, I can't find anything. I mean, I'm sorry, that's not true anymore. (laughs) There's just so many great things, so many great brands. Totally. Many years ago when I started on my journey, 2010, and I went into my bathroom and I put everything in a big garbage bag and I binned it all, I then went to the health food shop and there was like two options for makeup. There was maybe two options for skincare and hair care and things like that. Now there's just so many incredible options out there. So look up some of these incredible brands, experiment with them yourself and see what resonates with you. But I'd love to hear one that I really struggled with at the start was finding hair care, shampoo and conditioner. I was just about to say, okay, we haven't talked to hair care. And my gosh, I've got long, thick hair as well, which is something to be very grateful for, Mel. Don't get me wrong. I know you think the same, but geez, like, unfortunately, those soap bars, oh my goodness, that just does not work for me. I'm like, okay, so if I can't be plastic free, what's the next best thing? And for me, the Queensland brand Ever Essence is the bee's knees. Yes. It is such fantastic hair care. That's what I use. Genuinely high performance, salon quality. Anyone who really loves just maintaining their hair, like that's their thing, and they're wanting to use those high performance products, Ever Essence, for sure. Yeah, I have tried so many. Oh, yeah, me too. At least 10 brands, at least. At least. I remember one time I washed my hair and it was natural. It was an incredibly clean product, but my hair was dreadlocks afterwards. <laughs> like I couldn't even get my fingers through my hair. And then I've even made my own. I made my own shampoo and conditioner and it just didn't get the knots out of my hair. Like when you have long, thick hair, I mean, maybe for a guy, like it might be different. They've got shorter hair. For me, I needed something that was clean and still performed. And for me, I have used Everessence for years now and it's local to where I live, which is amazing. And you can take your bottles and refill them. Yeah, I do that at my hairdresser. Mm. Same. I do that at mine too. And it is so amazing. So you can find Everessence Stockist and take your bottles and go and refill them so that you're not constantly 
buying new bottles and that brand, you can do that, which is awesome. So I love that you use that as well. Oh yeah, it's so good. Another thing I get asked a lot about is sunscreen. So talk to me about sunscreen. What are your favorite brands? What do you do? Okay. So folks, you are lucky you are listening to this in 2022. I remember buying my first low-tox sunscreen in 28 and you needed to be an Olympic athlete to spread that sunscreen across your body. So much friction and force was required. It was like so thick and awful and like just white and horrible. The technology, green technology had really not gone places yet. It was great to have a safe product that wasn't going to make me blotchy and histamine but I really was desperate for something better. So fast forward to 2022, we have tons of fantastic options. And I say tons because we really do have multiple great brands now. Where I have landed is probably my top three would be Mother SPF, followed by 123 Nourish Me, which is gorgeous, like slight vanilla scent to it, fantastic for the kids. And they actually have tinted sticks as well. They've got a really great sun product range. And then probably number three would be the SPF 50 Young Living. Very good quality as well, but it's very exy. Like some, I just like to give lots of different price points, different people, different ranges. But if you family friendly, I'd say the one, two, three, nourish me. Beach, babe, the girls hanging out, like mother SPF is fabulous. And then if you've got the budget and you really want a very high quality, very high SPF, then the Young Living. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And again, this is another one of those things where going to your local farmers, like we've got at my farmer, there's local little company that makes their own. Oh, brilliant. You know, a zinc oxide. It's called against the grain. Oh, nice. Actually, you would love their products. Yeah. You would love them. So check that out against the grain. So they do a really clean zinc that Nick uses for surfing. He'll put that on his face when he's out surfing for hours. So check out Against the Grain. That's a really good one as well. Awesome. Another question I wanted to ask you, toxic chemicals in clothing, Mm -hmm. right? So I had no idea until I watched that documentary Stink. And I used to wonder why when I would go shopping and buy something this was pre-looking into, you know, more sustainable options, but I would bring them home and I'm like, why do they stink? Like it would give me a headache. And, you know, every time my mum comes over, she loves shopping and she would come over and I could tell she's got something new on because it would smell. It always has this same smell. So talk to us about this and then also how can we avoid it? Mm. So... If you're buying mainstream clothes made in another country, a lot of things are sprayed on those clothes to treat them to prevent any number of things infesting those clothes in transit, in ships, on docks, waiting to click customs. And so those chemical agents are protective. They're protective to the quality of the clothes and the look of them. They are not protective. They are generally neurotoxic and can be really aggravating to our skin damaging to our liver and lungs. So that's a bit of a bombshell for most people because we don't realise that these, you know, yes, it's made in China or Bangladesh or Taiwan, wherever it's made, you can find some really fantastic, even fair trade practices, wonderful things being done, but then the 
import-export piece is still letting us down in the tox front. So it's very hard to email all the separate companies, try and find out what they're using, what, I mean, because then they're having to go to their third-party transporters and try and it's as you saw in the movie stink it is not easy to find out what these chemical agents are very very difficult non-transparent logistics chain so what can we do to protect ourselves well we can shop companies that are transparent that do show us exactly what is going to be in your clothes and they'll say things like formaldehyde treatment free and they might list a list of toxic chemicals have been used in the processing or shipping of these products. And I think of brands like Pact, who are doing a great job. I think of People Tree, which is originally a UK brand, now several places around the world. So there are a couple of amazing A to B complete transparency companies out there these days. But most will do either organic fabric or organic fair trade practices and still not quite have the shipping part, the treatment part down. Look, my rule is any new clothes need to be washed before you put them on. And if you notice a smell, like quite a, you open it up, you're like, whoa, that's actually quite intense, then that needs to be double washed. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. Like if I ever smell anything or if I'm gifted something from my beautiful mom or something like that, I do wash it quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah. That's the safest thing to do. My auntie bought some pajamas. She's visiting us from Mauritius at the moment. And the other day she sat down next to me and she was like showing me her new pajamas. I'm like, have you washed those yet? she's like, what do you mean? Oh yeah, I know you're going to tell me I have to wash them before I wear them, aren't you? I'm like, uh, yeah. So she was kind of annoyed with me, but at the same time I saw her come down 10 minutes later, she was wearing different pajamas and those were in there. And I washed them for her because I was putting on a load the next day. And oh my gosh, these honestly smelt like a, I don't know, it smelled like a car factory or something, like really intense chemicals. And they were just going to be on her while she breathed all night in an enclosed space. Like that is not good for you. So it's just one of the easiest little mitigation tricks to wash all new clothes before you wear them. And you know what's interesting? When we have a new baby, a lot of mothers do that. They wash everything, all the muslin wraps, they wash everything before the baby arrives and they have it all in the little drawers and all laid out perfectly because they want it to be clean, but then we don't do it for ourselves. So I highly recommend watching the documentary Stink. It is so important. We'll link to it. And it's a great one for getting the teens on board or the tweens, you know, who are pestering you for the scratch and sniff this and all the pretty stinky stuff to be like their friends and go, sweetheart, I don't feel comfortable with that, but I also want to show you why I don't feel comfortable with that. You're old enough to know and you're old enough to make your own choice, let's watch this doco together that'll really help step us through some of the reasons why this stuff isn't okay for you or for our planet. And most kids actually appreciate being given the details. There's nothing worse when you're a kid than your mum telling or dad telling you no, right? Like you're just like, why? Like that's instantly, why can't I have it? They need to know why. Age appropriate, of course, but you'll be surprised how much a kid can understand 
if you give them the time and explanation. And I think good documentaries that present the science in not too heavy a way, like Stink the Movie did, are perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll link to it in the show notes for everyone to go and check it out. Make that your weekend viewing. Weekend watch, yeah. With your family. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on to the third pillar, home. This is a big area. What are the four biggest things that we can do to ensure a healthy home environment? Golly, I mean, we need a four-day seminar for this one, Mel. So I'm going to say absolute top of my list is clean indoor air and absolute top of the reasons why your air might not be clean indoors is mould. Second would be either living near a big intersection and having a lot of pollution or living on a property or next to a property with agricultural chemicals. Those would be two other big red flags of your indoor air quality, but mould is huge. And we know you live on the east coast of Australia as well. It has been an absolute thumper of a rainy two summers. And a lot of people have been asking me like, why? And why so intense the rain? And why? And, you know, I've interviewed a lot of climate scientists. People started sending me DMs about geoengineering. I'm like, unfortunately, no. The biggest geoengineering experiment currently done in the research could not have produced one hundredth of the effect of what we've just seen on the East Coast. And what happens is in climate change and as climates warm due to excess carbon in the atmosphere, you have a high percentage of precipitation, which means you have more intense and much shorter periods of rain as rain bombs. That's what they're they're called. It's not a scary media term. It's not, it's just what it is. That's the best way the climate scientists have found to explain it. And it's what has totally overwhelmed so many of our homes with leaks that we didn't know were possible or, you know, houses being completely flooded and it's been absolutely heartbreaking. And mould proliferation is a really big deal. And unfortunately, for a whole bunch of reasons, if I went into it, it would honestly take us hours and hours. But the long and short of it is, I suspect it's too expensive for our medical association, our insurers, our building and contractors, and therefore our political donation situation to actually acknowledge that mould is a massive health crisis. It's actually just too expensive. Too many people at fault in the chain and not enough research to get proper treatment or diagnosis. So it is what it is, and all I can do for now is campaign for people to reduce the indoor air humidity in their homes. So how do we do that? We get a hygrometer. You can pick one up from your local hardware store, and it helps you measure the indoor air humidity levels. You look on your phone at the weather app, and it tells you like 85%. Like if it's raining, it's probably going to be 95%. If it's also 95% indoors, that is a disaster recipe for mould to start growing. And you want to keep your indoor air humidity below 60%, which means if you can't do that naturally and opening your windows when it's raining is not going to do that. That's that's going to be airflow being brought into your house of 95% because it's raining outside. So if anything, when it's raining, you want to keep your doors and windows closed and crank the dehumidifiers. Now you might have a dry setting in an air conditioning system that you have, use it or get dehumidifying units. And some people find that they need about six in a three bedroom house to just make a dent in it and get it 
closer to 60%. So the dehumidifier is honestly the most underrated health appliance out of all the possible things you could bring into your home. If you live in a climate that gets humid for a particular part of the year, or if you're entering into a La Nina type situation where you get a ton more rain than usual, you absolutely have to have dehumidifiers. If you boil a lot of stocks, you need to have a dehumidifier because that, like all that boiling, steaming water, look at your kitchen windows, it's creating condensation. If you get condensation in the morning, your windows, that's the big alarm bell to bring that humidity down inside your home. So, so many people don't realise that their indoor air humidity is regularly over 60%. And that is what causes the majority of the mould to grow on things like cushions, sofas, clothes, carpet, even just surface mould on tiles or walls. It's not all water damage that's going to be hideously expensive to remediate. The average, Joe, it's hopefully going to just be a humidity situation. If it is water damage, and you can tell that from tea-coloured staining in your ceiling or bulging of drywall, like you sort of noticed it's like a little bit bent now or little bits of drywall cracking or bubbling paint or you can see a leak under your sink, that stuff needs to get sorted with a a remediation or leak specialist, absolutely. So for me, getting the humidity piece and the water damage addressed is the number one key to your home. Unfortunately, that also can mean it's an expensive one, but, you know, I've lived in water damage. You guys have had this issue as well. It is not pretty. It is freaking heartbreaking. It is soul destroying because no one recognises it as an illness in any official medical or insurance capacity. And it is hugely financially burdensome to the people who go through it because you do everything on your own dime to recover and to find a place that's healthy and all of the associated costs. So my heart goes out to people who experience this and I have a blog post that I've just put, I've dumped everything we've ever done on mould from my story to every show guest we've ever had, talking about buildings, talking about SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, talking about all the things that would arm you to know where to go next if this is you listening going, oh, crap. I think this is why my health has deteriorated since the floods or, you know, a lot of people are going to be putting two and two together around about now. Oh, it actually is quite emotional for me because it's so close to my heart. But, yeah, there's help. So all you need to do is Google. So you think you've got mould, low-tox life, as one big sentence in your Google bar and you'll, you'll find that blog post straight away and everything will be there for you. Oh, amazing. We'll link to that in the show notes. And I've recently had an incredible building biologist on the podcast, Nicole. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. Yeah, she's amazing. Mm. Healthy homes, happy family. That was an incredible episode. And yeah, mold is not something that you should take lightly. You really do need to look into it if you suspect that you have it. It's just not good for anyone in the home. So I love that you mentioned that. Talk to me about some of your favorite brands when it comes to cookware. My girlfriend, Lisa, was the one that told me that you recommended Solid Technics, which we recently got. And I love my Solid Technics. They are so beautiful and I love using them. But this is 
another big area. What are some of your favorite brands when it comes to the home for cookware, for, you know, kettles, all sorts of things? Yeah. So with cookware, absolutely. I'm a solid technics is the only brand I know doing multi-century guaranteed cookware. So Mel, you are literally never going to have to buy another one of the item that you just bought from there, which I just think is so fantastic. It speaks to the quality factor, but it also speaks to the sustainability factor and then the health factor in the materials they use. So they use nickel-free stainless for their stainless range and they use really good quality iron, cast iron, which Okay, if you are post-menopausal, it's actually quite a good idea every couple of years to get your iron checked if you do use a cast iron cookware because you don't want to get too high an iron level. Very easy to fix though. You can just be a blood donor once a year and that'll sort that out. Uh, But I mention it just because, as I said, I take guiding people seriously and it's important to think about all the different what-ifs and exceptions to rules. But I love my cast iron solid techniques pans. Once you've got those babies seasoned and seasoned well and you look after them, that omelette's just going to glide right off. There is no issue at all with the stick factor, beautiful quality. We've had them for yonks ever since Mark started the company. And actually Mark and I collaborated on a stainless, a nickel-free stainless baking tray for flatbreads, cookies, all that kind of stuff that is gorgeous as well. And you know, when you bake a bunch of biscuits for the kids and often there'll be like a corner where everything's like dark brown over there and then they're pale over here, but because of the style of stainless steel and the even distribution of the heat, you have an even bake. So you don't end up with those hotspot situations. And I just love nerds who can create that kind of stuff and and do such a great job. So that was a pleasure to collaborate on that piece. What else do I use? I'm a half Frenchie. And so Le Creuset is very close to my heart. It is such a great brand, incredible workmanship again. If you are someone who is wanting to spend less time in the kitchen, you want to do more slow cooking, more simple braises and things like that, curries, investing in a good Le Creuset French oven, Dutch oven, whatever you want to call it, pot is for me one of the best investments you could ever make. I do a triple batch of soup in there that lasts us the week for lunches, really simple cooking. You can't go past Le Creuset. I think for utensils, trying to stick to wooden, unvarnished things for spoons and metals for your cast iron cookware. Ditch all that plastic. I mean, think about it. We know that we do not put a plastic container in a microwave. If you're still using a microwave, you at least know not to put your stuff in plastic in a microwave. So why on earth are we still using plastic cooking utensils on super high heats? It makes no sense. The jury's out on silicone with high heat as well. The science is definitely not settled there. So wood and stainless are my two go-tos for the utensils. And then when you think about kettles, I actually just recorded a a reel for this because someone asked me in my DMs just this week. If you can get a stovetop enamel, if you've got a gas stove, that's probably the easiest and most low-tox option. Le Closier does one of those. If you can't and you need to get a plug-in situation, an all-glass kettle is a really great way to go. People then go, oh, but what about the plastic underneath on the lid? 
yes, there's a little bit of plastic there. As long as you don't have a, a kettle that has that plastic level measure where the water goes in direct contact with the plastic side that has like one cup, two cup, three cup, and you see the water go up, that's then boiling that water on the plastic every single time. And a lot of people don't empty their kettle fully. So you're reboiling over and over again this water with those little side measuring strips. So definitely avoid that. That's probably the number one thing. Well, actually, number one would be the kettle fully made of plastic. Let's just ditch that. Then the little side strip measuring thing, ditch that. We have a smeg that is completely stainless all through the inside, including the spout, except for the underneath of the lid. And I just boil my kettle generally with the lid open. I'm in the kitchen. I'm right there. I'm doing other things. When I boil my cup of tea, I do some squats or something quite often, just get the body moving as a desk worker. And so I just switch it off as soon as it's boiled and then that way no plastic and and hot water has come into contact. That's kind of my happy medium where I've landed and that hopefully helps people realise if you can't find the absolute perfect 100% low-tox option, then there's always something you can do and find a happy medium. Do you know what we do? We actually don't have a kettle because we had a zip tap in our past house. Ah, yeah. And so we've moved in here, which we are going to be knocking down and building our dream home. So we don't have a kettle. So I have just been boiling water in my solid technic saucepan on the stove. So just boil water in there and pour it in my mug. Very simple. So, you know, old school. Super simple. I used to do that. Yonks ago, I used to do that. But then I had a pot smoking flatmate who left it on once. And that kind of just, I guess it just like stuck with me. There was a bit of PTSD there and I became a kettle person. So it's so funny how you end up where you end up, isn't it? But yeah, there you go. A little random tangent, funny story. And there are so many incredible resources on your website and in your program for all things low-tox. Like you have an answer for pretty much anything that people want. So like I want to encourage everybody to go to your website and just type in whatever it is that you are looking for and I'm sure the answer would be there. And the last pillar is mind. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I do. Uh, The reason I put mind there, we spoke about it a, a bit earlier in the conversation is I've seen a lot of people, I've been that person where you are trying so hard to make everything perfect that you inadvertently end up stressed out of your mind when things can't be perfect and when they're outside of your control. So that mental health piece of change was really important to me as soon as I saw the negative impact of seeking illusionary perfection myself. And it was like a not on my watch principle of mine. I will not have people stressed out of their minds trying to do everything perfectly. I mean, can you imagine how awful it would feel to go to a mate's barbecue and and have to say, sorry, is the chicken organic? Is that salad organic? Yeah, we'll probably skip the food today. I mean, how awful would that be? It would be so straining to you to feel like you had to say that. It would be so heartbreaking to your friend who'd been slaving away all morning, preparing something beautiful for you to share. And I just never wanted to be the person that made people feel like that had to be the world we were striving for. Baby steps, you know, and and really, really leaving space for out of my control and imperfection as a part of life, a very normal 
very frequent part of life. And that seems to be where most people land and feel good. But of course, there are other aspects to the mind. So we all know the power of gratitude as a practice. We all know the power of stillness, either in finding peace or in uncovering the opposite and actually bringing that up and working on it. And so for me, the low-tox mind is one who is present, patient, non-judgmental, kind to self, kind to others, and always seeking to find where we might have things in common and overlap rather than focusing on black and white differences and imperfections because it's just not healthy. We can see how unhealthy it is on social media. We can see how unhealthy it is in politics. Uh, We can see how unhealthy it is in medical science right now. And so that's to me why it was important to include that as a pillar. Mm, I love that. Now let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Besides your books. <laughs> Damn, I was going to say my first book because it was oh. it's such a, it covers everything in there. Your books should 1000% be in the curriculum. Like there needs to be a whole class on low tox. Oh my gosh, how amazing would that be? <laughs> I know, I just said that the other day on um, on uh, Insta. I was like, does anyone want a three-unit low-tox for the HSC? I think we'd be raising some pretty good humans if we did that. Oh my gosh, it's just essential, absolutely essential. So besides your books, they should be in the curriculum. What is one book you would choose? It could be on any topic. Oh my gosh, Mel, you've totally sprung this on me and I cannot, cannot, like one book? Oh my goodness. Do you know, I've read it recently and I think a lot of people are disconnected from their heart spaces right now. There's a lot of anger, hate, confusion, a lack of listening, empathy, a lot of silos. And I think one of the best things we can do right now is actually examine our feelings and thoughts. And Atlas of the Heart was just the most epic release of Brene Brown's recently. And I love the way she peppers it with, it's basically a dictionary of human feelings and she peppers it with research. So there is, say, a scientist who is literally just looking at anger, nothing else. That's literally what they work on. So she'll bring a bit of that research in. She'll bring an antidote about how she realised something about her own life in a particular feeling, either joy, shame, shock, you know, whatever. And it is such a fantastic introspective invitation like you can't help but think how how's that feeling played out in oh boy (laughs) like you just then go like you know it might be a conversation you had last week it might be a nasty comment you left on someone's feed it might be I mean who knows right but if we all just do that work to be gently self-aware then I genuinely believe that we can build up a lot of hope for a much more peaceful future than the one we're currently experiencing in the zeitgeist yeah, absolutely. We'll link to that in the show notes. It sounds amazing. I'm going to get that for oh, it's sure. A good, you would love it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Ooh, let's go. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? For our health, it would be to switch from products to produce. 
Mm -hmm. I love it. What's one thing that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life would be to tune into what you actually need and what actually makes you happy. And chances are it wouldn't be the handbag. It would be the walk with a girlfriend and that's free. Yes, 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 yes. And what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Oh, hugs. Like how often are you just sitting there with your partner on the couch just watching the show? It's so much nicer when you're hugging, doing that exact same thing. There's nothing wrong with watching the show to unwind, but could you be hugging at the same time? For me, my son and I start our day with hugs and chats every single day. Even if we have to get up early, we have five minutes of hugs and chats and it just fills the cup up and it starts the day from a loving place instead of from a let's have a look at the news feed and, oh, my God, the world is screwed fat place. (laughs) And I genuinely just believe being with your nearest and dearest but really being with them in human touch is massive. Absolutely. So important. So important. What about your morning routine? I want to hear about how you prime yourself for your day. Can you give us like a, a speedy overview of a day in your life? No two days are ever the same, but just, just some of your rituals and routines that you do. No two days are ever the same. And I play a hardcore tennis comp a couple of times a week at nights. So those next mornings, I tend to need to be a little vegetable, just sitting there in the quiet dark. I often do like puzzles, <laughs> things like quirtles and wordles and nurdles and just things that just get me just chill. I find if I meditate, my nervous system is too jacked from having played intense sport. And that actually just frustrates me even more. So those mornings won't be meditation mornings. They'll just be tea, chats, puzzles, maybe a walk with a girlfriend, more unwindy kind of energy that's not me focusing on me, if that makes sense. Then other mornings, generally, most mornings, I tend to go for a walk for about half an hour in the morning, chat to my local cafe, get my yummy little decaf piccolo that is my ritual because caffeine sadly sends me around the bend. The walk will always be going through nature, like finding, you know, a local park, being by the water, because that's my natural surrounds down at Rush Carter's Bay. And I think that just for me is my perfect, if I get that walk in, it's my perfect calm start to the day. Then after that, it would be my brekkie. And I always eat quite a low carb, very high protein brekkie because I have more of an ADD tendency in my head. It's very busy and all over the place. And I find really grounding, quite earthing foods on the heavier side tend to be much better for my energy in the morning than really light, energetic, kind of vibrant foods. That would be more my lunch, pick-me-up kind of vibe. So, yeah, good earthing breakfast, a walk in nature, And then when I've really spent a lot of energy and I've done something very physically active, very calm, chill, journaling puzzles. Oh, I love it. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And I will actually say, though, because I know you have a small person, this is only possible because I have a 13-year-old and only one. Folks, when he was two, three, four, 
no flipping chance that was my morning, no chance. So please don't be listening to me going, oh, if only I could, or yeah, that's easy for you to say. It's just a phase of life thing. There were a whole bunch of crazy, hectic, wonderful things to enjoy in that period where I let go of myself a little bit more and found my time more in the evening at that stage of my life. So don't feel like you're failing because you can't get your morning walk alone in nature right now. It'll come. Absolutely. And it's always shifting. Like my routine is always shifting at different phases that, you know, she went from three sleeps to two sleeps to one sleep in the day. So it's always shifting. So be flexible and kind to yourself and just do your best. Whatever you can get in, if that's five minutes of breathing with your eyes closed, that's better than nothing. Mm, Totally. This has been so amazing. I have loved this conversation. We want to offer everyone listening 20% off with the code MELISSA to your incredible program. And we'll link to that in the show notes. But just before I go, I wanted to say the work that you do in the world is so important. It's really important. And I'm so glad that you're out there doing this and helping and serving and supporting and inspiring so many people to become conscious about what they are putting on their body, in their body, in their mind. So I'm really grateful that you're out there. You're doing this. You created all of these incredible programs, podcasts, books. You're helping and you're serving so many people. So what can I and the listeners do to give back and serve you today? Oh, thanks, Mel. That got me a little bit teary. That's lovely of you to say. What can you do to give back to me? Look, I mean, one of the things that people crave is just being able to ask the odd question and, you know, going about your day like, oh, wish there was a forum I could ask this. And I have a completely unbranded, I'm not affiliated with any brands. I mean, different brands sponsor our podcast, which is great. They're always highly vetted. But I created a space called the Lotox Club, which is like, it's only $49 a year. So it's like the price of a coffee a month. And it's just the most fantastic troll-free space because it's not a completely free Facebook group. Everyone uses all different types of brands. I mean, I don't care what type of essential oils you use. I don't care what type. It's about everybody coming together and appreciating low-tox living and then just being able to ask questions and deep dive with our little book club or our monthly webinars that we do that just help people feel empowered on that low-tox journey in a completely unpushed way. So that would probably be the most amazing way to support my work so that I can keep supporting everybody. And we can put that in the show notes as well. Absolutely, we can. Thank you for all of your work that you do, honey. And thank you for being here with us today. I'm so grateful. You are just a gem. You have so much knowledge. So I want to encourage everyone to go and check out all of the goodness in the show notes. But thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful. And I'm so grateful for this chat. I know we've been trying to make it happen for ages uh, and it's really awesome to finally be here. Thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Isn't she a wealth of knowledge? I highly recommend going and checking out her programs, her products, her books, her podcast, everything. And if you got a lot out of today's episode, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you never have to go searching for a new episode. 
Now, please come and connect with me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaway from this episode. I absolutely love hearing from you and I love connecting with you. So tell me what you got from this episode. Was this an episode that you loved? Do you want more episodes like this? Come and share with me. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.